This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. You're listening to the Millennial Balance Podcast right here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Shaliza Backus. I'm Afwaba. Hope everyone's doing good so far. Yes, we are. You look cute. Look at you. Yeah, I'm trying. Trying to put a little pep in my step. It's yes. a little bit too cold here and there. I'm just like, you know what? I need to get back into my groove. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. We need to bring the sunshine Bring somehow. the vibes. Yes. I know I can't bring the summer vibes yet, but I got to bring some vibes. I mean, you know what? It's summer somewhere. We can, right? We can have a hot girl winter. Who says we can't um, do that? Okay, nah, I get cold too. It gets ashy real quick, you know? <laughs> you can't be can't be hot girl in there. If you don't have any lotion, it's like you better put all of that back. <laughs> Just saying. Anyway, reeling it back in. I was not expecting <laughs> There's no segue from that. There really isn't. There really isn't. Anyway, it's February. Yes. It's Black History Month. And there are so many important conversations to be had, but, you know, these conversations need to happen year round. It's not just Mm -hmm. something that needs to be spoken about now. But, you know, I do love the conversations we've been seeing online from people in the media, from people on social media. And namely, a lot of creators on TikTok have been voicing their opinions and making things known, bringing things to people's attention that they may not have known before. And I love that. You know, I feel like it's just bringing a lot more content, a lot more information to the forefront. Sometimes, you know, our generation may not be wanting to just go into like the library and just read through books. They want to absorb information in sort mm-hmm. of different outlets. And I feel like now this is probably one of the positive ways of social media, yeah. right? That you use it to your advantage. Yeah. And I, I I so love what's happening right now with all of the different content that's out there. It's helping me learn a, a lot of things that is a part of Black History Month and that I'm still learning about that I'm mm-hmm. so grateful to be learning about right now. Yes. And there's always learning to be done. There's always ways we can educate ourselves. And to enlighten us a little bit on this is TikTok creator, Fayola Benjamin, a.k.a. The Fayola Jamie. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. good. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, you have been educating yes. everybody on yeah, TikTok. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we are here for that. And tell us how this idea came about. So it, before you uh, tell us, uh, in case everybody doesn't know, Fayola has been creating these like 30-second-ish clips uh with some black history month facts and they've been very helpful things that i never knew before i don't know about you no same here yeah um so how i started honestly was based off of going to school in canada and literally not learning anything about blackness i lived in trinidad i moved from trinidad to toronto maybe like 20 years ago now And every single year in elementary school and high school, I learned about Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Underground Railroad, and that was it. So when I had experiences with prejudice, racism, systemic racism, I was like, what's happening? This is insane. And so I would do research and I learned that there's a whole system that I am involved in that's set up to be kind of against me. I need to learn more. I need to understand. And so I would just do research. And then I felt that every Black History Month, there was so much information missing. And no matter what, I felt that there wasn't enough substantive information. So in 2021, I was like, you know what? Let me share. Let me educate. Um, Let me add to the conversation around what really has happened, especially in Canada, 
involving Black people, the Black experiences, our contributions, positive, negatives, and everything in between. And so that's where I started with the 30 seconds of Black history, because I wanted to make a quick, interesting, digestible platform to share Black history, not just during Black History Month, but also year round, because Black history is Canadian history, and we got to have these conversations. Thank you for, you, you know, taking that initiative to fill that missing space. Mm -hmm. um, you, you see it and you mentioned it, like a lot of us, we went through that system too. And it's just the same thing that's like regurgitated for every single grade, every single year. And we all come out learning the same thing, but you've taken the step to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change that in my way, not necessarily yeah. traditionally through the classroom. And you're like, you're gonna go and reach the masses and give them some other information that they don't know about outside of the classroom and it's still working and it's still um, doing what it has to do and educating people about, you know, mm -hmm. some information that they might not know about. So thank you. Of course, of course. And Fayola, you mentioned a very good point that black history is Canadian history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I myself, you know, tired of hearing the same three things over and over again. This is our Black History Month lesson plan and that's it. We move on. But there is so much more to it. And I love that you're diving into it. What are some of the most interesting things that you found about Canadian history in your research? Um, honestly, that it's so difficult to find information. Uh, we don't have many archives. You cannot just Google and find all the substance that you need. And there's also a lot of information that is factual, but because there's a lack of it online in libraries, it seems like it's fake or it seems like it's opinion based. And that's the, I guess I'm not shocked, but that's the difficult part as well about learning about Black history. There's just a lot of information that's not easily accessible. How did you even go through that process in terms of going through the books, lining mm -hmm. up the facts, all to put down that 30 second TikTok? Yeah. So I'm a lawyer. So it's my like expertise researching and then putting information in a digestible format. So I guess I use that skill in terms of doing research, reading, 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 and then processing it and communicating it in a way that everyone can understand and join the conversation in. It's really, honestly, it's intense because there's so much information, but also not a lot. And then I always want to make sure I'm communicating in a way that doesn't turn people off from learning, which I've found is the biggest thing about learning about Black history. It's, it's not like it's pleasant. It's not fun. It's not light. So I try to strike the balance between the research and communicating the information in a non-overwhelming way. What kind of backlash have you faced on TikTok? Because, you know, it's not always unicorns and rainbows. And how do you deal with that? Because it is difficult. I know it's easy to say, yeah, we should all have a thick skin. Yeah, we can take it. But sometimes it's not that easy to take. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, I have, I guess I, I do get a lot of um, hateful comments and negativity because people get triggered when you talk about black history and so like initially i think in 2021 it was difficult because it's like i'm sharing facts like you can fact check me these things did happen this is not my opinion and especially because i know people get triggered and so when they're triggered they become nasty 
I try to just deliver facts and not my opinion. Uh, initially, it was difficult because this topic, Black history, is close to me. It's something I'm passionate about. But I guess I learned over time that this is not personal. Just like hate, hatred is not personal. Just because someone hates me doesn't mean that I have anything to do with that. And so I kind of let it roll off. Um, the My followers on TikTok, they're really good at like attacking those who are negative and hateful. And I appreciate that. But for the most part, I just leave it like I leave the negative. I leave the positive. I like to read it to understand different perspectives, especially. And I think most importantly, even the negative backlash is conversation. And that's what I wanted to do. Start conversation. So if it is negative stuff, we could talk about it. It's okay. The fail of fan base coming strong. Yes. I like that. And I like how you put the positive spin on that. Mm -hmm. um, and just following up on that, how has the feedback been like for you when you've been putting out, uh, out these TikToks? Uh, much like me, when I went to school, I didn't know a lot of the stuff. It's really what I'm hearing in the comments. It's like, wow, I, did I had no clue. I didn't know this. Um, I'm happy that you're sharing this information. I've gotten teachers who ask me for my research so they can share with their students and, and companies who want me to speak to their employees about different pieces of the information that I share is actually really, really positive. And it's motivating. As heavy as it is to do the research, it's motivating because I know there's at least one person out there who is going to learn something new and who is interested in what I'm sharing. What has been maybe one or two of the your more favorite TikToks that you've posted? So I really like um, cases like I like true crime, stuff like that. So I've shared a, a story about uh, Chloe Cooley. Um, she was, let me get this fact right before I say this. Because TikTok's going to come for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was she? Oh, okay. So she was an enslaved woman who was kidnapped and she was going to be taken to the U.S. And essentially, like, it happened in the Niagara River. And I just talked about her experiences, her life, what she went through. And I think that's one of my favorites because it is a crossover with law and Black history. Um, I also shared a story on Emmett Till. He was a young Black boy who was accused of assaulting this white woman at a grocery store. And she, well, she told her, I think, husband and her brother, and they ended up murdering him. And recently they were looking for her because she's still alive. She's living her life. And it's said that she may have made up the whole story. And that's really unfortunate, but that's also real experiences that Black people have being falsely accused of crimes they didn't commit. So those two are my favorite just because it's more case and true crime. And that's something that I love personally. And has there ever been any topic that you've been maybe hesitant to post about or to speak about? Like maybe you looked into something and you're like, mm, I don't know if I want to share this, but I should share it. Honestly, unless it's something that is positive, like a contribution, I'm hesitant to share because 
it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable and it's heavy. And I'm also cautious about sharing things that may be triggering. But because I always talk about things that did happen because it's history, I share it anyway. But I do feel a little bit hesitant about sharing it while I'm making the video, but it is what it is. So can you give us maybe a little bit of a sneak peek if you can, in terms of maybe what you might be posting next in terms of some some Black history content? Um, okay, so upcoming, I'm doing a series. I'm currently filming it actually on Caribbean and African dialects. Mm. So for example, we have Toronto slang. Toronto man, Mandem. That's right. That's right. And I wanted to. So the series is essentially talking about the crossover between Canadian culture and Jamaican culture, Canadian culture and African culture, and the fact that the Toronto slang actually comes from Jamaican patois and the roots of it, which is that just really quickly. Um, Enslaved people were brought to Jamaica during the slave trade, and they were forced to um, learn English. And because they didn't speak English, and amongst each other, they didn't speak the same language, they were forced to learn English however they could. And because they had their African accents, languages, and also trying to learn English, it developed into this Creole. And in Jamaica, it's Patois. When they came to Canada, the influence of the Jamaican, African, Caribbean dialects mixed with Canadian culture is how we have this Toronto slang, which I feel like a lot of people do not know the history about. They just oh. like Drake. Yeah. He has so much yeah. to say. You <sighs> swear Drake is from Jamaica, but really. <laughs> I can't. I, uh, don't get me. It'll be another episode. I love, Dr- already- <laughs> I love Drake, but please stop trying to act like you're Jamaican. Like, stop tr- trying to act like you and Popcorn are the same. Like, you're not. Like, <laughs> Aubrey's going to hear this. <sighs> And gonna be like, Shaliza, we need to have a talk. Aubrey, <laughs> I love you, but you no, you're I from Forest Hill, you're not from Jamaica. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Forest Hill, Kingston. No. Okay. Well, I tried. I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think this. that's really interesting. Yeah, I can't wait for that. That is so I am gonna be like your number one viewer. I'm here for that. Yeah. So, somebody <laughs> needs to say it. Part one, Scarborough. Because I feel like that's, <laughs> that's its yes. own like dialect. That and is then, you're right. You're branch right. off. Fayola, before we let you go, where can our listeners find you on TikTok if they're not already following you, which which they <laughs> which should they be. should, yeah. <laughs> um at the Fayola Jamie show. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much. That'll be linked uh, on our social media pages as well. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for this insightful conversation. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this edition of the Millennial Balance Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Peace out. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. This is Mental Health Moments, the podcast dedicated to breaking down barriers and sharing your stories. Brought to you by 105.9 The Region. 
Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of Mental Health Moments, hosted by yours truly, Phil McCabe, and brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Now, throughout the show, we've highlighted many external forces that impact our mental health, whether that be bullying, grief, medical diagnoses like endometriosis. Heck, we've even touched on love and how that can help or hurt someone. Today, we are talking about alcohol. And I say we because joining me today is my father and a man who was proudly sober for 13 years, Jean-Marc. Dad, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Phil. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So right out of the gate, I wanted to to talk to you about your sobriety. You've got about a decade of sobriety under your belt. And if you could summarize, if you can, the, the kind of difference in your mentality, your mental health during your drinking times compared to now very much removed from your last drink. Basically, when I decided that drinking wasn't working for me anymore, I could see the bottom coming up. I hadn't hit a really hard bottom, but it was bad and getting worse. So basically, it's the disaster averted. More specifically, coming out of three years of COVID, had I still been drinking during that period, that would have turned it into an absolute disaster because I had lots of money, nowhere to go, nothing to do all day. And you got to know that under those circumstances, cocktail hour would have started at 10 a.m. While that works a bit here Mm. and there over the long haul, that's not a good idea. No, it's not very sustainable. And we're going to pivot away from your personal journey in a second. But something that came up in my head in preparation of this conversation, you know, was there ever doubt that crept into your head that you had made the right decision to quit drinking? Because, you know, when I think about my own experiences, my own insecurities uh, and relating it to this story, I remember the time that grandma, your mom mentioned, oh, Jean-Marc, you were so much more fun when you were drinking. Mm -hmm. So with that added layer of of you know, let's say insecurity, was there a time that, you know, you kind of questioned that uh, maybe I can get it under control because people like me when I'm drinking? Yeah. As a matter of fact, that tends to come up fairly often. Uh, yes. I remember like yesterday, uh, grandma saying that to me, you're, you're always such a good guy. And then you quit drinking. And that probably relates to the fact that I hadn't hit a real bottom. I mean, like my drinking was a problem for me, not for the people around me. I do miss that I could just take the edge off. Because I'd always felt, you know, a beer or two felt good. Mm -hmm. Uh, When there was a party, when there was something funny going on, when there's something exciting, getting a good glow on, a good buzz on felt good. Mm -hmm. And there's times that I miss that. There's times uh, when I've been to uh, your cousin's wedding a few years ago. There were some drinks flowing there. Yes. Fun was being had by all. And I was just stressed out because of the the social environment. I just felt very awkward. And that was the kind of setting that a couple of drinks would have uh, would have done me very good. If I just let that feeling go and if I acknowledge it Mm -hmm. and stare it down for a bit and just reflect on uh, on some of the approaches, some of the strategies to maintain my sobriety sooner or later, the curtain rises on that and I get to see the rest of the tape. So whenever I miss the good stuff, right around the corner is going to be somebody drunk and falling all over themselves and throwing up and being just generally a jerk. So that's why the false memory of how good a drink could be usually is followed up by, yeah, I'm glad I'm not doing that. I I find in North American pop culture anyway, I'm not familiar with other parts of the world and their pop culture, but I find that North American pop culture almost makes a joke of drinking in excess and they they show it in a very light, jovial, you know, everyone's having fun. In fact, there's even a movie franchise, The Hangover, that is all about getting so blasted you don't remember anything. This is more of an opinion question, but do you think that there's any merit in 
in having uh, uh, or showing the darker side of what alcohol does to people? We've got to see the darker side because while it's all fun and games when you see it in a movie, mm-hmm. uh, the the darker side, just like the stereo, I mean, we, we've got our Irish ancestry, the stereotypical drunken, tipsy Irishman coming out of a pub and singing and so on. That's, that's the fantasy. Mm-hmm. The reality is something much darker. If anything, I've noted in my lifetime, the acceptability of heavy drinking realistically is becoming less and less acceptable. You know, the uh, impaired driving used to be something to joke about in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, whereas now, if you get if you get busted for an impaired, you've got a hard time showing your face in public because it's like, what were you thinking when you did that? I'm I'm sure that there's countless people out there that have heard and uttered the phrase, "Oh God, I just need a drink." You, as someone that's that's been sober for, as we said, over a decade now, what do you think when you hear the phrase, "God, I need a drink," and has that changed with the sobriety? I relate to it. For years, uh, I needed a drink to take the edge off, and that drink felt so good. Mm-hmm. And for those that are able to uh, to have that drink. And the medicinal effect of that single drink is wonderful. Having a drink to take care of some of the blues, some of the anxieties and so on is amazing medicine. Mm -hmm. The only problem with me is over the years, I lost the capacity to control my dosage of that medicine. Once I took that medicine, I needed more and then more. And then once I got to a certain level, it was just a, a roll of the dice as to when I was going to stop. I'd imagine too that people that have substance abuse problems, the the bar at which God I need a drink continues to get closer and closer and that the threshold for justifying turning to a drink becomes oh yeah much easier to justify. And like, oh I stubbed my toe on the way to work. If only I could have some whiskey and that and that kind of thing. Like is that the case? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean it's it starts off I'm so stressed because this happened at work and it really is something intense. And boy, do I need a drink. And then later on, it's, yeah, I could really use one. And then there's the other justifications. The, it's been a hard, it's been a long day. I deserve a treat. My team mm-hmm. just won. I deserve a treat. It's no. the Super Bowl. Obviously, yeah. you got to have some beers. Yeah. Yeah. If it were a Leafs, if I were a Leafs fan, I wouldn't be saying much <laughs> about uh, my team won. Therefore, I'm going to celebrate. Keep in mind, we are in the GTA here. That's a them's fighting word. So I'm going to stop you before we get into trouble there. I've spoken at length on this show about my own challenges and that unintentionally on purpose, people sometimes trivialize what I'm going through that, oh, you're fine, you're overreacting, this and that and so on and so forth. In relation to to alcohol and, and consumption and, and substance abuse problems, do you find that there's a stigma there that if you're not the guy that's ruining dinner parties, you're not the guy passing out on a park bench that people are just like, oh, no, you're fine. You just like to have a good time. Oh, yeah. That was my story uh, as I decided that I had had enough. I had mm-hmm. people, uh, people in my life, they were saying, oh, you're making too big a deal out of this. And I remember one conversation where somebody said, well, don't you remember a week ago last Tuesday, you didn't have any. And it was <laughs> yeah. true. And then I had to stop and realize, well, people without a drinking problem don't say things like a week ago last Tuesday, I didn't have a drink. Other fun conversations I like to uh, I like to have is uh, asking people, how often have you blacked out this month? 
and just see the look on people's face when they say how often last month blacked out. Yeah. That, and that's they, a question that's normal in your circle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. To me anyways. And something to bear in mind when I was drinking to my mind, everybody drank like I did. I thought it was just normal that this is what everybody did. And there was nothing unusual about it. It's really odd since I've quit. People don't drink like I used to. It's like, hmm. holy smokes, look at that. And people are having one beer, others are having none. You have oftentimes told the, the not even joke, but the, the statement, the metaphor of, you know, when I was drinking, I, I felt like I was the funniest guy in the room. In my mind, I was the most charming guy in the room. In my mind. Oh, yeah. Try and take us through that experience when you wake up the next day and all of these metaphorical feathers you've put in your metaphorical cap were all created by just the fog of a good buzz. Most of my drinking was before phones with cameras. I got to remember things the way I chose to remember them. And uh, all kidding aside, my own target for when I knew I shouldn't drive was when I knew for a fact that every woman in the room wanted me. When I knew that to be absolutely true, then I knew there's no reason I should not be driving. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I was the funniest guy. I was the most handsome. I was the smartest. I had, uh, the most, uh, meaningful things to say, uh, all the time, that kind of confidence. And I believed it. I'd wake up the following day and I believed it once in a while. I'd realized that a certain conversation, I really was a jerk. Usually if I'd be coming out of a blackout and I'd piece mm -hmm. together certain things, it was like, Oh yeah, oh, that, was, that, that was not cool. That was me really out there. That's, that's kind of how I feel too when I think about my own experiences in, in moments like that. At the time, it's confidence building. At the time, it feels good. And I'm like, oh, you know, the, that group of girls before I was committed, <laughs> that group of girls, they thought I was so funny and all of the dudes I was hanging out with were busting a gut and stuff. That's when the, the insecurity, the mental health challenges kicks in. Then it's like, was that me or was that drunk me? Speaking for myself, it's a version of me that has lost certain inhibitions, that has lost certain fears and concerns and mm -hmm. insecurities. So yes, it is me. Unfortunately, right behind that me, is the other one that's right over the top with the loss of uh, loss of insecurities, the one who's overbearingly uh, over the top, overly secure. Yeah. Uh, the one who will go too far for a joke because of an inability to control the dosage of my medicine that takes care of certain mental health issues that I've got. You know, I've been diagnosed as uh, with chronic depression and a couple of drinks takes care of that. The problem is that I just can't keep the dosage right. Once I get a taste for it, you just can't keep the next one out of my hand. I would decide that I'm going to have just two drinks. And for years, I would have bet anything that I would have sworn on anything you give me that I changed my mind and decided to have three or four or ten. Mm -hmm. It felt like my decision and it was, I was about three years into recovery. I was going through some uh, program reading on this. The light went off in my head. And I said, I never had a choice. The first drink. The choice was already made the, for the you. Choi the choice was made. The, that, that drink is the one that's going to determine how many I'm going to have. And it took some work with my sponsor to figure out that, hold it. Yeah, this is different than some of the other problems that I've got, whether it be smoking or overeating or any other isms mm -hmm. that I might have. This one had me 
differently in that the urges would pose as my own thoughts. I, I don't want to ask you about the, about working the program or anything like that, but I would like to ask you if there's someone out there right now that's suffering with a mental health crisis or even uh, substance abuse problems, what would you like them to know? When I walked into a room a week before I actually picked up my 24-hour chip, there were two things that uh, struck me. The first was keep an open mind. Just be open that there might be something that you don't know, that there might be a problem that you know. Just keep an open mind. And the others keep coming back. If nothing special happened today, come back tomorrow, come back another time. Just just keep coming back. I had a, a semi-tearful, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but a semi-tearful uh, chat with a man who would, be, uh, who would become my sponsor. And I said, here we are in September. December's coming. I've got Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're going to make it through that day like any other day. You're going to make it through one day at a time. And lo and behold, I did make it through. At the time, I said, my parents are getting kind of elderly. How am I going to make it? They're, they're going to die someday. How am I going to mm-hmm. make it through that? I've got my kids that are uh, teenagers and becoming adults. How am I going to deal with all of these things? I, had, uh, I wasn't sure where my marriage was at. How am I going to deal with all of these things without taking the edge off? says, you're going to deal with it one day at a time. We've gone through my, uh, my dad died three years into my sobriety. Mom died uh, three years ago, 10 years into my sobriety. My brother died. I've gone through career changes. I've gone through certain health challenges mm-hmm. and on and on. And lo and behold, how did I do it? Just one day at a time. I'm glad because it gave me a chance to feel these feelings like an adult. I would like to close with advice that you have given me countless times and I continue to use right here on this podcast. And frankly, it applies to this podcast, this conversation. You took life like eating an elephant, one bite at a time. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health concerns, contact a local agency near you. This has been Mental Health Moments brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Discovery. The radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.